Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Feastal Fit Health and Fitness Show. So many of you know that this is a body positive podcast. However, I want to focus on some other topics other than body positivity. I believe that our body image is actually secondary to what's really going on in life, and therefore when times are tough or an emotion unexpected, we often go back to old coping mechanisms, which are, I feel fat, maybe I should diet, maybe I should do more exercise. Because whilst we're thinking and feeling these things and focusing on our body, we're not feeling emotions. Emotions like pain, grief, worry, fear. So today I speak to Alison Hollingworth from Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, which is a book written by Susan Jeffers. Susan's no longer with us, but there are many still supporting her work and running their own workshops which promote the message within the book. Alison is one of those practitioners and today we find out why we have fear what we can do about it and some tools you can use for getting out of your comfort zone. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and if you do, can you kindly share your thoughts by leaving me a rating or review in iTunes and maybe consider supporting the podcast. I have decided to donate all patrons to the charity Mind which is a mental health charity and I'm working closely with them to support and to raise awareness of mental health disorders. So all the links will be in the show notes including how you can support this show I hope you enjoy. Money. Welcome to the Fustel Fit Podcast with your host, Nicola Fustel. Straight talking, body positive coach and personal trainer. Nicola brings you your weekly guide to finding real health and fitness and to live the life you deserve. Welcome, Alison Hollingworth to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself so the listeners can get to know you a bit better and what it is you do for a living, if you can describe the work that you do. Yes, yeah, no problem. Okay, so um, I uh, set up Steps Forward about eight years ago now, having come from um, uh, an IT background, actually. Uh, Worked my way up in an arena that I didn't really have any interest in, but I was good at. And I had some personal life changes, and that was um, basically how I got to, to be here today, was by picking up the book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. So um, I started to read it, and it felt like Susan, the author, was just talking to me. It was, it was really um, uncanny that... It was like she was in my head. She was living the, the life that I was living and, and started to answer the questions that I was asking of myself. Mm-hmm. And I was so enthusiastic about it that I wouldn't shut up about it. And anyone that stopped and uh, was prepared to listen got to hear all about the wonderful tools and strategies in the book. And I decided to to start living by these and gave up my career as as such as it was then and didn't really know what it was that I wanted to do so decided to do a bit of traveling carrying the book around with me and just before that can you just take us back then to what was your life like then when you were having some issues you were saying that were in the book for anyone who hasn't read it so I was I was what I considered to be on the treadmill so I was waking up in the morning already stressed for the day ahead, um, putting my mask on, so my makeup, the suits, getting in my my nice car, travelling um, into the office and being this person that I, I realised now was not the authentic me, but I'd done it for so long because I was trying to prove to myself um, and proving to other people that I was I was something, I was worthy, I was good enough. And that was the only way I could see how I could do it at that time. So very, very stressful, long long working days, uh, had an impact on my relationship um, and my, my daughter who was a teenager then. Uh, I'd had um, a breakdown a couple of years previous to that where everything had just got too much. But instead of stopping and learning it was a bit like I just built the mask even thicker Mm -hmm. Um, and I was it I was very much in a male um, environment 
And it was, you can't be as good as a man. You've got to be even better. So you've got to be harder. You've got to be tougher. And that led to my my marriage breakdown, um, which was quite unexpected. Um, Quite a bit of a a shock. Uh, And I found myself at the age of, of 44, the first time ever, living on my own. Um, and getting to know who I was. So going from this really structured, stressful, high achiever to really going into the softer side, which I I, I think previously I would have just poo-pooed and thought, come on, pull yourself together. But it was then that I started to really build up that relationship with myself. So what led you to the book Feel the Fear? Well, it was interesting that um, I had moved house some years before and I thought I'd got rid of my vast collection of books. However, this book seemed to just have come along with me and I've never read it. My sister had bought it me 10 years before and I just never picked it up and it just I just happened to see it stuck on a, a bookshelf and picked it up. And, and opened the page and, and it said my sister had written in it for times of change so it just seemed the right thing to do and I'm a great believer in when you are ready the right thing will appear yeah and probably if you'd have read it 10 years back you wouldn't have been ready right then no no I would, I would never have been ready back then and I would have probably got rid of it um but for some some reason I've kept hold of it I can't ever remember remember consciously keeping hold of it. So then you read the book and you were telling us about the rest of your story, how the book started to change your life. Yeah, so as I say, I started to delve into it and, and really it, it, the majority of it resonated with me. Um, some of it didn't at first. And because I I was in a, um, a very logical environment with, with IT uh, and and I would say I'm quite a logical person. There were some of the things that I really struggled with, and especially affirmations, because I kept how, I kept saying to myself, "How can a positive sentence change your life?" But when I think about it, I was actually giving myself an affirmation of saying, "This part can't possibly work," uh, and I thought, "Right, I'm going to give this a go." So for four or five weeks every morning and every night I said a positive statement to myself and I wrote it out as well and it was it was around feeling guilty it was that waking up in the night sitting bolt upright feeling guilty because of what was going off my my husband and I had split up and and the damage I thought it was causing my daughter and and all of these things going around and this guilt was just paralyzing me so I, I made this affirmation around around releasing the guilt and it was incredible because after that short period of time and even today you cannot make me feel guilty about certain parts of my life mm-hmm. uh, and it was so powerful that it was like wow this really works and then I looked into the research and understanding about your neural pathways and how we can change them and it all started to to make sense to me and that's when I um got in contact with Susan Jeffers so at that time she was um, living in LA and I said I need to do something with this because I'm basically boring everyone to death so surely there's something I can do with it sure my message and and her message needs to get out there and and that's uh, when she gave me the license to write and run the workshops and that's what I do on a, a regular basis now in house within organizations and and also on a public basis Mm -hmm. so can you tell us about fears like what are fears and how do they develop so we're we're not born with these irrational fears we we develop them over time so for example we're not born with a fear of spiders um so there is some there's some event in our life that creates that fear. And 
it can be something that is a one-off and is quite traumatic, or it could be something that is repetitive, so repeatedly exposed to something, and that can build up uh, a, a fear. And we don't necessarily know today where that fear came from. Uh, we can, through different um, techniques, we can we can go back and, and understand where it came from. But we, we carry that on and we continue to, to build on that fear. So it might be we see, um, for example, the fear, fear of spiders, we see a, a piece of fluff and we look at it we take the information into our sensors and we could evaluate that as a spider. And then what happens is our subconscious will throw up to us, but we don't like spiders, we're, we're frightened of them. So then we have our resulting uh, emotion, our reaction. And then that, that reinforces that we don't like spiders. So whether it was a, a perceived or a real spider, it, it doesn't matter. So is that the key to overcoming fears, for example, the spider, where we have to go back and find out where that fear came from? Is that one way to overcome it? Yes. Yeah, so, so in that example, that is what you would the classes of phobia. So we can, um, and I, I work as a, a hypnotherapist um, as, as well, uh, and we can we can go back and we can we can't change an event, but we can change the emotions and the reactions that are linked. With that event so so in a phobia that's that's what we could do we, we could we could regress back and, and change that um that emotion with other fears so maybe a fear of um driving on a motorway is, is one i come across quite a lot uh, that we can start to use different techniques and that's perhaps doing step by step gaining your confidence by doing small steps forward so it could be driving um on a dual carriageway or, or whatever it is that will just push you slightly out of your comfort zone and keep repetitively doing that until you create a new neural pathway and eventually it it's fine it, it holds no fear for you so you say there about gradually building up the process till you're able to drive on the motorway. Is there such thing as jumping ahead and then causing more harm than good when you're trying to overcome your fears? So what we we need to be mindful of is we've got our comfort zone where we do things that are comfortable to us, even if they're not particularly nice. At least we know how not nice they are. Uh, and then we've got just outside our comfort zone is our stretch zone. So that's what we want to be doing. We want to be pushing into our stretch zone, which will expand our comfort zone. What we need to be careful of is that we don't push too far too soon and we get into our panic zone. And when we're in our panic zone, what we have a tendency to do then is jump back into our comfort zone. So I, I use the um, analogy of someone being in a, an unhealthy relationship. We might have been in one or we might have people we know who are in an unhealthy relationship and something happens and there, that's it, I'm going, I'm leaving and they're in a heightened state of emotion and they might ring you up and they say, that's it, I'm off, I'm off. Uh, and then you don't hear from them for a bit and then suddenly you hear, oh, I'm, I'm still there, it's not that bad. And what they've done is they... At a, high, at a time of heightened emotion, they've made this uh, emotional decision, not a not a, a rational decision, and it's thrown them from their comfort zone into their panic zone, and they're in their panic zone, and then there'll be thoughts like, well, well where am I going to live? How am I going to afford to live? What's the impact on friends, on children? Um, all of these these thoughts will then go through. Um, their their mind and then they'll start to bargain with themselves and oh well, it's not that bad and yeah I'm, I'm going to give it another go or I'm going to I'm going to give an ultimatum that they have to change and so they, they go back into their comfort zone and ideally what what we would be recommending is 
you start with your stretch zone. So it might be, it's not a healthy relationship. So let's think about, do you need to be doing some training at night school and things like that in order to be able to get yourself financially secure? Do you need to be making new contacts so you've got new support mechanisms in place? So doing small steps, building your confidence up, building your ability to take that 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 bigger step eventually, but, but within your stretch zone, not in your panic zone. Yeah, so I do remember specifically reading in the book a bit about relationships. And there was um, an example of a lady who had her husband was everything in her life. So every area of her life, he was there. And then when he wasn't there, she felt that she had lost everything. And they yeah. were saying in the book that if you build up other things in your life, then if one piece is missing, you still have all the other pieces. So you're not completely lost. You still have other things going on in your life. So it's important to have other things and not just have one that surrounds everything. Yes. And, and Susan, so Susan talks about the nine box grid. Mm. Often uh, people refer to it the wheel of life as well. And, and it's about making sure exactly what you said, that we have a variety of things within our life that we're not, you know, our relationship isn't everything. So if we've got a piece of paper with, with cut into nine, nine um, squares, you now how many squares would your relationship take? You know, or have you got friends in there? Have you got hobbies? Um, is family in there? Uh, or is fun or is health? Or, so it's about making sure you've got that balanced life so that when one of them, drops which invariably in you know life throws us curveballs and um, you've got other things to keep you going it doesn't mean you're not going to suffer that loss but it means you'll be able to to maintain some normality you'll have other things in your life that'll help you and support you mm-hmm. and if I look back to my um my life um some time ago so when I was in my career if I'd done the nine box grid then I would have said probably seven of those boxes would have been work um and that meant it was detrimental to other areas of my life and it's also a big focus um a big reliance on the fact that 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 career was going to be there and and as we know um, jobs are you know there is no security in, in jobs and yet I was resting my security on having that that career and as I say it was detrimental to to other areas of my life. Do you think at the same time there's no security in people because we can't change other people we can only change ourselves so if we rely on people for everything then we're likely to be let down whereas if we can do a lot more for ourselves and be independent then we only have ourselves to rely on. Yes I don't I don't think um, as, you, as you said, you, we can't change anyone else. We can make changes to ourselves, which may affect other people, and they may change. May change in, in ways that are to the to the good, and they're not so good. So it's about concentrating on on who you are. Um, there is no certainty in in this world, and one of Susan's other books, Embracing Uncertainty, um, talks about there is. There is nothing that we can rely on. And the only thing we can rely on, as you say, is is ourselves. And it's not about making ourselves isolated. Uh, It's about being self-sufficient and being self-sufficient with the ability to have shared experiences with other people. So it's, it's making sure you've got your independence and then you've got interdependency with other people that you have relationships with. So as opposed to being dependent, because as soon as you become dependent on something or someone, then you're giving your power away because you have no control over anybody else or anything else. And just on that note then as well, do you think it's important to um, do self-care? So you're also being nice to yourself because obviously you're relying on yourself and maybe you need to spend time with yourself as well and get to know yourself and all the things that you want in your life rather than what other people want for you. Yes, I'm a great advocate of, of self-care. 
Um, it's it's a bit like you've, you've got you've got a bucket and you have to fill that up with all your your wellness, your energy, and then you can choose to spread that. If your bucket is empty, you have nothing to give. So you've got to be at your best before you can even think about helping other people. Mm-hmm. So it, it's... It's like it they can, say... Sorry. It's like they say when you're on the aeroplane, when the masks come down, you need to put your own mask on before you can help the person next to you. Yes. Yeah, otherwise you'll be flat out unconscious and no use to anyone. And yet we, we seem to value people that are martyrs that they go out there and they do everything for everybody else and they look terrible and worn down but actually they they are the people that need to be looking after themselves they may well have a belief that it's selfish you know I, I do think do I think it's women maybe maybe more likely that it's it's females are brought up to be the carers to give and give and it's selfish to be sitting there doing nothing what you know whatever nothing is um or to be taking time off to to go and and go to a, a spa or go for a massage or or go just go for a walk whatever it is it's so um, true and even people in my industry can feel that it's lazy so if you're yes. working hard all the time you're being lazy yeah, and that's a belief, isn't it, that we've got to work hard in this life. You don't get anything for nothing in this life. And those beliefs will have come from our upbringing, from our parents, our teachers, our, our peers. So we will have um, established those beliefs throughout our life. And so I work with people, you know, and that's, you know, I know I've got to work really hard. And I too had that belief. And now I, my belief is, you need to work smart and you have to look after yourself because if you're on the floor, you're no good to anybody and you can't you can't contribute. So going back to fears, do you know where we develop the fear of being social? Because obviously as children, we don't have that fear. It, I would think that would be different for, for different people. So social as in going out and meeting new people, um, is, is that what you're, you're saying about being yeah. so in a social environment? Meeting new people, um, even at work environment, talking up in meetings, speaking to people on the phone, that kind of thing. Yeah, so, so it would be um, an individual's experience and... Often when you go down and dig a little bit deeper and go, uh, you will find there is some belief. Often it's, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to be heard. I'm not good enough to be liked. Um, and it's, it's this deep belief that will have been instilled at some time in their earlier life. So it could have been a, um, a parent or a teacher telling them that they were stupid or to sit down and shut up. That's not what we do. Um, you know, children should be seen and not heard. So it's, it'll have come from an earlier experience. And depending on their temperament and how much exposure they had to that sort of um, environment will determine how they carry it on through throughout their life. So it might have been if they went into secondary school feeling quite insecure, they may have got bullied or it may have been something that somebody said that really triggered a deep fear. Um, and that's just reinforced. And then they carry that on throughout into their adulthood. So how much of these are fears and how much is it personality types and confidence? There's a, there you're talking about your nature-nurture debate, aren't you? And I, I think there's, there is some nature. There is, there is some things that you will, in, will inherit or you will have a tendency. But then also you're, you're in that environment with that type of person. So you will see their behaviours. You will replicate their behaviours. We, we learn by repeating what we see. So if, if you've got a parent that 
is perhaps very um, shy, uh, insecure, or, or doesn't want to to stand up for themselves, you will see that behaviour and you will believe that that's the right behaviour. So is that nature or is that nurture? That's that's the whole debate, isn't it? So also, is it um, like fear of not having confidence or is it the fear of speaking to people? Because then how do you have to determine what it is to be able to um, then heal yourself from it? If we look at um, what Susan refers to as the three level of fears, we've got our top level fears. So our fear of speaking up at um, a meeting or our fear of going up to somebody and, and talking to them, our fear of starting a relationship or ending a relationship, all of those top level fears. Underneath that, our second level is basically our ego. And it's, it's the fear underneath it. So I I don't want to speak up because my, my, my lower level fear is I'm, I have fear of being judged I, or I have a fear of, of, of failure or fear of success. Um, I don't want to, top level fear is I don't want to start a relationship. The second level fear might be fear of loneliness that um, I might meet someone and then lose them and I don't want to be lonely or I might meet someone and they reject me, a fear of rejection. And then the third level, the low level is, I can't handle it. So I can't handle it if I speak up at a meeting and it gets rejected. I can't handle being rejected. I can't handle being a failure. I can't handle being successful. And so it's going right down to this, I can't handle it. And actually, once we get to that level, it's realising that we can handle it and we've handled it throughout our lives. We'll have all been rejected at some time. We'll have all feel that we've failed at some stage of our life, but we, we're still here. So therefore, we have handled it. And when you get down to there, it's a little bit of a, an aha moment of, well, yeah, it's, it, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Do you think that's the key then when dealing with those voices inside your head? to say what is the worst that could happen. Yeah, that's one of the things you can you can use. Yeah, when that chatterbox is kicking off, telling you that you're stupid, you won't be able to do it, people will think you're you're a failure. It's what's the worst that could happen? Um, what's the evidence to say that I have actually done that before and achieved it? Because there'll, there'll be some evidence to say you've done it before. Um, and also, what would you say to your friend if your friend was asking you or telling you I don't do that what would you actually say to them and this goes back to the self-care about you've got to be your own best friend you've got to be telling yourself the things that you would tell other people and yet we're often very hard on ourselves it's easy to tell somebody else though isn't it and to watch them go along and do it <laughs> and applaud at the end it is. If that's and if that's what we want to do, we want to step back and watch other people. That's fine. But actually, it's why can't why can't we do that? And and it's going back to because it's it's those beliefs, you know, that belief of don't big yourself up, stop being a big head. You know, you're not as good as you think. And it's changing those to actually, you are a unique person. You are amazing. And, and just saying that can be really uncomfortable for people. Do you think, though, as you just mentioned there, some people are quite happy to sit there and let their friend do it and applaud them at the end. Do you think there are some people, maybe it's their personality trait or maybe the fear is so much that they are just happier living in the comfort zone, they don't actually want to explore outside of it? That, uh, interesting question there because I'm, it de depends on how you would define happy. Um, I think on the surface there are people like that, but then if you dig down, I, I would it might be a question of are they so fearful that they're just happy not to be in the pain of fear, so they will stay in that comfort zone. And 
have the attitude of, well, if you don't try anything, you'll never fail, so you won't get hurt. Mm-hmm. And, and I think then your comfort zone can, can then become your prison and, and can, can constrict your life. And I'm not saying you know, if, if there are people that, are, that want to do that, that, that's entirely up to them. Um, but I would, I would question as to whether people are, are truly happy if they don't want to do anything and try anything. And, and in, I think it's very difficult to be in a world of keeping things exactly the same because then, you know, something does change, which they don't have any control over. They've, if they're very averse to change, they've not learned how to handle change. So it's, it's painful then. And that could be a, you know, it could be a, a small change. It could be changing the type of um, washing powder they use is, is not any longer available or, or a change in their family circumstances, which they've had no control over. And it's then, how do they handle that change? So that sounds actually reminds me of like OCD. So I guess that's also living in your comfort zone because you have to have things a certain way and you're just familiar with having everything that way. And if it changes, then you feel that you're out of control. And um, I can't remember the word I was going to use, but just they're not comfortable. And so therefore they'd rather stay in that zone and have everything familiar. Yes, I think OCD is, I can't say I'm an expert on, on OCD, but it, that, it's very much about having having routine and having having the the um having little or no change within within your routine um and that's often a way of feeling that you have some control when you feel maybe through anxiety that you don't have any control things are happening in your life and you're not in control well actually i can control these certain things and it makes me feel better when i can when i can control them do you think there's a certain thrill that comes from overcoming your fear and do you also think that that can become addictive like when you go on a roller coaster and you have that high and then you get the thrill and then you want to go again i'm sort of thinking if you're thinking about can can that thrill of uh of getting through your fear which fear and thrill yeah they're they're all very you know it is like you tip from one to the other you're on you know you're going to um jump off a diving board you're frightened to death and then you do it and you're elated uh and i i do believe and if i look back when i was in in what i thought was a very high pressured high stressful part of my life i was also doing um some quite high adrenaline social activities so like um downhill mountain biking that was was quite full-on really a adrenaline um producing so i think that if i look back that was quite an addictive period of my life i now have no ambition to throw myself down a mountain on a bike um or to you know skydive or any of the other things that i i did i don't have any of that ambition or and I'm just pre- I'm just um, preparing for a 10k run, which is a goal that I wanted to set myself health-wise. And I don't really have any ambition then to go on to a marathon. And whereas I know before, I would have done. It would have been what's the next? What's the next? The same as in my career. What's the next step? What's the next title I can get? And so, what's the difference? What's changed with you? Where before you were always going, what's next? And now you're content with 10k. Because I don't need to prove myself. I don't need to prove myself to anyone else. Do you think it's an ego thing then? Yes. Yeah. I think from an early age, I was always trying to, and we do try and please our parents. And I think we often take that into adulthood and we're trying to, to prove ourselves. If we've got that underlying belief that we're not quite good enough, we're constantly trying, trying to be to be better, to be better at work, to have a better uh, lifestyle, to have a better social circle. We're constantly trying to prove to the world that we are worth something. 
And I believe now with the work that I've done on myself, um, I have I have nothing to prove. And it's it's a very, very nice place to be. So then once you're in that place, what do you do next to get out your comfort zone? Because what you're doing now will become comfortable. Yeah, so it's, it's not about stre- not stretching yourself. Um, so as I said, I'm, I'm doing a 10K. It's the first 10K I've done. So I'm, I'm stretching myself, but it, it, there's no pressure on me. It's, I'm not doing it to, to prove it to, to anyone else. I'm doing it purely because it's, it, it's a milestone towards a, a fitness goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's about doing things that will stretch you and doing them for the right reason. Yeah, the reason I asked that question, because recently, a couple of months ago, I did a talk and public speaking, although I do podcasts and radio, is only really to one person or to a room by myself. Um, but speaking in front of a crowd of people, it was one of my biggest fears. And I, I searched it up online and everything. And apparently it's the second biggest fear other than death in most yeah. people. And so even that filled me with more fear because I thought, you know, everybody's scared of this, <laughs> but the people <laughs> who do it don't seem to have any fear. So I always thought, well, okay, the only way to get out of your comfort zone is to do the thing that you're scared of. But I've yeah. never seen anybody stand up and do a speech scared or cry or um, muffle their words or anything bad happen. Any of the fears that I had that would happen, I've never seen anyone do. It just seems to be they either don't do it or they're an amazing speaker which just right. filled me with more fear. I eventually did do it. I overcame those fears, but um, like I, I felt amazing. Like I was on cloud nine after doing the speech. Yeah. And I think this is why I asked you about the thrill and addiction, I'm not saying I'm addicted to public speaking, <laughs> but I certainly did feel so high that I started to come down afterwards. And now I feel like I'm looking for the next talk or I'm looking for the next thing. Cause I really enjoyed that high. So you were doing it, like so you said there, because you enjoyed it. Yeah. You weren't doing it because you had to prove to somebody else that I can do it. It sounds like you're 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 happy in your own skin and you were doing something because it was a challenge. It was something that's gonna gonna stretch you, increase your skill sets. Mm. And it's always interesting when talk about presenting. I've never come across anybody who doesn't have some crisis of confidence or some nerves before they go on stage or before they go in front of a, an audience. Uh, it's They've got techniques to deal with it, which by the sounds of it, you must have incorporated some techniques into, um, into your preparation before you actually went on. Um, well, I don't I know think this- I really had any. So if there is anybody listening who feels like I did, who hasn't seen anybody cry or make any mistakes, then I've got a video of my speech and I do have a few tears. <laughs> and that's, so. that would be showing the human side of you. And it's, it's, it'll be depend on what you're, what you're speaking about. Um, and if you're speaking about some financial deal and you've got tears in your eyes, might not be quite <laughs> appropriate. Um, it was but, a personal uh, story, so it was right. a, an emotional one. Yeah, so when, so when I present, you know, people will say, you know, I come across quite confident, but there's there's still fears and there's there's things I do to, to help with that. So it might be thinking um, doing some breathing exercises before I go on, so I'm not lightheaded, so I'm, I'm grounding myself. Um, I use anchors. If you've heard of, of anchors, yeah, I'm going to ask you about those in a moment. Okay, so so it's using different techniques. What you did was you you did research on it. Um, you might have watched other people present and, and picked up some ideas. But once you start to really look at presenters, you'll start to see or you'll start to hear that there's always a little bit that comes out that makes you realise they are they are no different from us. Yeah, they are human. Mm. Yeah, it could be a wobble of the voice. It could be... Uh, an um, it could be the the way they perhaps wring their hands or something like that. So, do you come across a lot of people with public speaking fears? Yes, yeah, and it's and it's it, it, public speaking or standing up in a meeting and wanting to 
to present their ideas rather than sitting down and, and just sort of accepting what's going off in the business. Um, everybody has some reservations about doing it and, and to different extents. So, and some people are, are, are much more um, able to put on a bit more of a, a persona. But, but really, when you think about it, would you rather watch an actor or would you watch a, rather watch a, a real person giving you that, that speech, that presentation? Yeah, certainly a real person. Yeah. So, and, 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 and humans, we've, we've got our, our foibles, haven't we? And it's funny because one of my clients, she's done a, a TED Talk. So she's up there with the um, public speakers, if you like. Yeah. And she was telling me about the first time she did a talk, she had to wear glasses because she felt that she was hiding behind a mask. And that's interesting because when I did some talks at, uh, or presentations at, at uni, I was painfully shy. And I put my reading glasses on because I couldn't see anybody. I could only, I could see what I was reading. But when I looked up, everyone was blurred. And I just thought, right, yeah, if I keep these on, I can't see you. And that really helped me. <laughs> so let's talk about the anchoring then and how can it help with things like public speaking or anything else? Yeah, so anchoring is um, an NLP technique. And we have anchors all day every day presented to us it's marketing makes use of anchors all the time Um, and you you might see something on um a brand or something like that and it could give you a a feeling Um, you might hear a song and it gives you oh that was a wonderful time or you might um taste something it will take you back to a, a special meal or or to school dinners or so we've got connections so things will evoke memories evoke feelings and, and they're they're anchors um so going back to you know we, we we're in a lovely relationship we've got our special song and every time i hear it oh it makes me feel so happy and then the relationship goes sour and then next time i hear it i'm in tears so it's exactly the same thing, the same song, that's not changed. But our emotional connection to it has changed. We have an anchor and that anchor has changed. So, for example, um, presenting, you might want a, a, a resource, a new resource. So rather than feeling nervous, you might want to feel relaxed or confident, whatever that 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 resources that you would you would desire and then what we can do is we can we can set you an anchor and you can set them yourself uh, or you can work with somebody to set them and it's it's basically just taking you down into a very relaxed state um bringing up a memory of when you've done something that created the good feeling so for example confidence We'll go back to a time when you felt really, really confident. There will be a time in your life when you were doing something, nothing to do with speaking, when you were confident. And take you back, build that up. And when that gets to a, a, a level uh, as, as high as possible, and then we would say, now, touch your anchor. And your, your anchor could be your thumb and, and forefinger you squeeze together. It could be um, holding a watch or a ring or twiddling your earlobe or could be anything like that there could be a word you could say and it will bring back that that feeling that feeling of confidence or relaxation will just flood through you so they're very powerful and, and you see them used all the time in uh, in, in the sports world mm. but you do have to work a lot on this don't you and you have to keep putting those positive things into the anchor an anchor will get stronger the more and more you use it so going back to my my training for my 10k run i've got one I, I squeeze my thumb and it's I'm strong and, and powerful. That's my affirmation. And the anchor is I want to I want to feel energized. So if I'm running along and you know sort of start to maybe flag a little bit, I'll just hold my thumb and that energy will just flood through me. And when I've done my run, when I'm feeling really high as you were when you'd finished your presentation, what I'll do is I'll I'll um reinforce my anchor so i'm really really buoyant feeling really energized 
So I then just hold my thumb and just use that energy to, to strengthen that anchor. Does the same thing work with visualisation? So, for yeah. example, your 10K run, you'd visualise going through the finish line and maybe at a specific time if you wanted to get a time before it actually happens. I know a lot of sports people do that, visualising the goal before they kick the ball through the goal. Yeah, definitely. Um, so they've already won or they've already scored before it actually happens. So, so yes, I, I visualise um, my running. I also visualise... Um, with, I visualise within my body that all my bones are like iron rods and each joint is, is sort of like a, a, a joint between two pieces of, of metal. And that really helps me. I visualise that and, I, and I'm basically see myself I'm a, as a machine and I can pour oil all over the iron rods if anywhere starts to get a little bit achy. And that's, that's one way I visualise. And I visualise where I'm going to be, um, what music I'm listening to, at what stage of the run, uh, and yeah, it, it all it all helps. Mm -hmm. For those kind of sports, there's no actual fear, is there? Because there's nothing that's going to happen to you. What about sports like parkour? I don't know if you're familiar with parkour, where you do like, or it's also known as free running, where you can jump from uh, like a high wall to another high wall and go underneath bars and jump over things. Have you heard yeah. of it? Um, but a, that, an interesting one. I've never thought about that before. Um, they will have built themselves up. So they won't have gone straight out and, and gone from one wall to, a, to another. So they will, have, they will have gradually, so going from their comfort zone, they'll have stretched it and stretched it and stretched it. And, and their... their um, their level is, is is very different to, to, to mine particularly. I, I wouldn't, um, I don't have an ambition to do it. Um, and it's not something that I would say was within my stretch zone. Um, but I would assume that they would go out and they would, it's, you know, like anything, practice. And as they practice, they're making um, new neural pathways so that they, they can master it and then they'll get to do a little bit more and a little bit more and they're just growing and growing their their neural pathways and they may well use anchors and affirmations to to strengthen that so are there any other tools that you would give maybe for lifting weights for example power lifting because you're only doing a few reps but you want to lift as much weight as possible and obviously there is a fear then because i've done it myself and I get to a certain weight and then I think I'm, I may even start the lift and something in my head for a split second says no. And then as soon as my head says that, my body gives up and I can't lift the weight. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's uh, your thoughts. That, that thought that you have will lead to a feeling. So I would be there looking at what, what is it that you're thinking before you even step up to to the lift. And then so this is about having these affirmations, these positive affirmations, and they've got to be in your own words. They've got to be personal. They've got to be positive. Uh, they've got to be possible. It's no use you trying to lift something that your body would physically never be able to do. Uh, and just being aware of what your thoughts are, because your thoughts will have a direct link to your your feelings. So you, you feel energized or you could feel tired, um, which will then have a an impact on your actions so if you're thinking i'm not sure i can lift this your body will not feel as strong as if you're going up there going i can do this i can do this so it's yeah. very much being aware of, of what it is that you are thinking thinking you know the run up to it and the actual doing it so so this is where people have mantras this is the thing though you can have positive words all day long and then it could just get to that last moment when the lift's so high and then something just says no for a split second and then it's all over which is the same thing with the parkour you could be running about to take a jump and the whole way you were running you were positive it's that last step you say no and then you won't be able to do it so this is about um, the discipline of your mind mm, getting out your own head <laughs> yes so this is about you 
you're having that discipline of your own thoughts, but it's also making sure that physically you could, you are able to do that, that you know, that you're not um, trying to jump something that, that physically you couldn't do or lift something that you, your body just physically yes. wouldn't be able to, to handle. So it's about making sure that there's, there's mind and body are working together there. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you have all the physical capabilities, then it is about training, training your brain and, uh, and checking out, is that a habit? So yeah, I'm positive. I'm positive. I'm positive. I'm not positive. Okay. So let's have a look at, why you're not positive and let's 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 tweak that then and it might be using some some prop or something to remind you about that positive thought that you need in order to achieve what it is that you want to do so you mentioned earlier as well about fear of success yes can you explain that a little bit why would people be scared of success yeah so so some people um might procrastinate, might self-sabotage because they're frightened of something working out. And it might be, well, if I do this really well, I've now set the bar high. So then I'm going to be expected to reach that bar and beyond. So actually, if I stay at a lower level, there's not a lot expected of me. Therefore, I'm not going to be judged Um I'm not going to be rejected. So um, having a relationship. Well, if I get into a relationship, well, what if it really works? What if it really works and then they go and die or something happens? What does that mean for me? So actually, I'm going to protect myself and I won't have a go. Saying that, actually... Um, a lot of people say the words, it's too good to be true. So I think yeah. we, we've had this belief given to us by our parents and society that if things are going well, something bad is going to happen. Yes, yeah, so nothing lasts forever, that sort of, of, uh, of thought. And it's, it's also educating yourself that having something really good doesn't mean it's good 100% of the time. And recognising that life has its peaks and troughs and the key there is to build up your resilience so that when something does happen we're able to ride that so so we're already um working at a high level that when something does happen in our life so whether it's a death whether it's redundancy whether it's a breakup whatever it is we we might drop a little as expected but we're not going to hit the floor we've got all the tools that we've we've learned already to pull us back up it's no use waiting till we're down in the depth of depression and then saying right now i need to do some self-help or some self-development we need to do that before we need it yeah so in terms of your own self-development what kind of things are you working on now so it's quite interesting because when I talk about affirmations and people say, oh, do you use affirmations yourself? And I, and I always have had affirmations and I now get to a stage or now got to a stage where they're just implicit in me. I don't sit and write them every day. They just automatically through repetition, they are there. So if something, if something happens, I can automatically switch to, it's all happening perfectly. Even if it's not feeling like it is, I can start to look on the other side rather than letting it take me down. I can start to think it's all happening perfectly. I might not need to know the reason why this is like it is just yet. So it's, it's, I'm able to reframe things, but it comes naturally because I've used the techniques for so long that they're now they're just my natural habits. So if somebody said to me, "Oh God, it's a miserable day," I automatically go the other way of, "Yes, but isn't it isn't it an opportunity to do so and so?" And so they're they're just they're just there. Um, I I have hypnotherapy is another another thing I use. So if there are you know some lingering beliefs. 
that perhaps pop up that aren't useful, I can uh, I can get those get those sorted. Um, and I think because I train this on a regular basis, so I do the workshops and I also run a self self help group. I'm constantly reinforcing all of the lessons, so they just become part of who I am. Yes, I think so, that's key because naturally for us it's negative that comes up first so you really do have to actually work on being positive and something you have to do all the time over and over repetition and surrounding yourselves by with similar people um and in groups as you're saying and listening to podcasts and reading books um are there any like particular things that you do to keep yourself accountable so i um, I, I work with a coach, so I have my coach. So that helps me set my goals and set, helps me become accountable. Um, obviously, working through whether I'm coaching or, or I'm, I'm training, I am accountable to to my delegates or to my audience. Um, I can't stand up in front of them and then start to be someone I'm not. So. I have to, and, and I want to, um, constantly be developing myself. So I'm, I'm either reading books, um, as you say, um, listen to podcasts. Uh, I watch um, things like TED Talks. Uh, I have great discussions with people. So are there um, any uh, books that you or podcasts that you could recommend? I... I think I like um, TED Talks. I absolutely think they are brilliant. And this, uh, Brené Brown is is one yeah. that I really, I really rate. I do too. Uh, yeah, I think she, she's she's just brilliant. The um, The Art of Being Brilliant is is a great book. Um, and again, there's some there's some podcasts you can download from that. Uh, there's some great podcasts from um, the Wee Wee Way with David Lee James. That's great. One of my all-time favourites, obviously, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers. One that I came across that didn't really gel with me at the time was Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Still refer to that on a regular basis. I've got the CD of that one. (laughs) Yeah, and I I like audio books. You put them on when you get in the car and... You can listen to them over and over again, whereas when you know the, the Seven Habits is quite a weighty book, um, whereas listening to it you know, a couple of hours and you've, you've mm-hmm. got through it, and uh, like I really that enjoy one. that. There's also Eat That Frog. Have you heard that one? Yes. Yeah, I've got uh, Brian Tracy, um, Eat That Frog. That's a good one. So I do quite a bit around time management and leadership management training, and I, I use that and uh, some of the the tools out of that on a regular basis so yeah very very highly recommended i'm just looking at my bookshelf to see what else i've got on there i've mentioned susan's um embracing uncertainty that's that i really i really like that one um and that's does what it does what it says on the title um but there are there are so many out there and it's it's finding out what works for you and i always say to people just so go into a bookshop, pick a book up, open it at a page and just see what it says to you. You don't have to read the books from the beginning to the end. It's when, when you're when you're ready for it, it'll appear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Facebook is a, is a great one as well. So there's, there's always lots of good um, uh, positive affirmations on there and joining, joining some of the groups and, and just surrounding yourself and immersing yourself in that whole culture. So tell us about your workshops. Yeah, so I, at the moment, um, I run one-day workshops. Uh, I run them in the East Midlands. Um, I, I, I can run them anywhere, basically. Uh, and Do you do any online? Is there, any, is there anything online, so for people who aren't yes. in the UK? Yeah, so it's um, www.steps hyphen forward.co.uk the next one is being run on the 13th of may um and i also run them in-house for companies so around you know, team building um basically helping people take responsibility 
And uh, I also run a self-development group based on the book, um, and it allows people to easily access it. And there's a meetup group, um, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, and people can turn up. It's a couple of hours on a Monday evening and get great feedback. People that perhaps wouldn't want to go on a whole day or perhaps are just starting on their journey, just dipping their toe in, might want to want to, to see what it's all about. And importantly, to make connections and, and meet people that are similar-minded. Mm. It's all about connecting, isn't it? Networking people. It is, yeah. It's getting that support when, when you often feel the most vulnerable. Okay, so, so finally... Can you just leave us your contact details, your Twitter, Facebook handles? Yeah, so Twitter is feel, feel the fear too. Um, my contact details um, are alison at steps-forward.co.uk. Uh, feel the fear and do it anyway is the Facebook page. Um, and yeah, my phone number, if anybody wants to call me to find out more, is 0780. Three two five four five nine one. Brilliant. So, um, lastly, then, is there anything that you want to leave us with? My favourite affirmation, which I have framed, is I trust and let go. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave Nicola a review on iTunes. You can also check out the show notes and get other free content on her website, fustalfit.co.uk. If you'd like to contact Nicola, email nicola at fustalfit.co.uk.